0: I'm Pablo Destear, the author of many things that you've never read, and I myself don't read either, as Rob and Livius do so much a better job of that than I could here on the Booked Podcast.
1: Daddy was a cop on the East Side of Chicago, back in the USA.
0: Welcome to Booked. I'm Livius And I'm Rob Olson. We are now bringing you the fourth of four shindig and chi-town live reading episodes uh the shindig and chi-town took place at the world famous billy goat tavern in chicago on march 2nd uh brought to you by burnt bridge and flywheel magazine the MCs of the night were jason stewart
2: and david james keaton the world famous um billy goat tavern which also has that world famous um customer service too (laughs) world famous asshole waiters (laughs) that's pretty much it so um, as Rob said, this is our final installment, and uh, this is it. This is this is the head honchos of Burnt Bridge and um, Flywheel Magazine they're going to be reading here. We're going to kick it off with Jason Stewart, who is the author of Raise a Holler, and he's the editor-in-chief of Burnt Bridge. Um, Raise a Holler, by the way, depending on when you're listening to this, you could vote for it. Uh, it's been nominated for a Spine Tingler Award, so you may want to go click a button if you like his uh, his work here, if you've read the book. Um, He's going to read from a current he's going to read from a piece that's currently unfinished. That's called Roscoe following Jason Stewart
0: is I want to say this because like (laughs) when when Keaton introduces Jason, he calls him the final reader of the evening for some reason. But then after Jason's done, he calls David up to read and David had a story ready. So I don't really know exactly why they said that. But David is the one that rounded out the evening. Uh, We've had him on the show before. We talk about him all the time. He was in the wrong kind of reading. He was uh, we reviewed ZB and B. We had him on for an interview. Um, He's the head honcho over at Flywheel magazine, Um, and he's reading from Spunkwater, which is a novel that he's shopping around right now that um, (laughs) in the reading, I think
2: he says no agent wants. Hey, you can also vote for David James Keaton and one of his short stories also nominated for a Spine Tingler Award. Yeah, I think this story story's called something like Either Way It Ends With a Shovel or something. Yes, and it's a very, very good story. But I guess the point is, we rub elbows with award nominees. That's right. That's what it says. So. Uh-huh. Um, and pay attention. There are no less than five movie references made by Keaton during this reading. All right, so here it is, Jason Stewart and David James Keaton.
1: So our last, uh, our last flywheel uh, reader will be Mr. Uh, Jason Stewart author of Raise a Holler. If you guys were a Chuck Kinder fan from Pittsburgh,
3: there's, a, there's
1: sort of a synergy going on with the uh, West Virginia, Appalachia kind of thing. I highly recommend this book. Um, there's a lot going on. He's got them up here for sale. He uh, A bio, he does Burt Bridge. Is He's the editor-in-chief. And um, he, uh, when he was a child... <laughs> there was a hormone that was not released in the womb that inhibits muscle growth. What is the name of that hormone? Oh, the What's the condition? Called, What's the condition? Well, the
3: hormone's called myostatin, so the condition is myostatin-related
1: muscular hypertrophy. Oh, yeah. So he has muscular st- what? <laughs> hypertrophy. <laughs> so when he was like 9 years old, he punched through like a fucking metal wall <laughs> when he got upset. His his muscle growth is not inhibited nor is his creativity Welcome, this mutant, Jason Stewart. Ladies and gentlemen. Okay, hey, I'm really sorry. About
3: the okay, I'm sorry. Don't that, punch I'm sorry that it hit the book, guys. Um, there. Uh, by the way, special thanks to the book guys. Uh, they recorded the reading last night. They're recording us tonight. These guys are awesome. Show them the picture that they took to <laughs> 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 Wait, what? The pi- they took a picture That's from from the black all of the same clothes. No, no, no.
1: To
2: the, the right,
3: to the right. Yeah, let's let's keep let's this down because we'd like for let's it to stay up for us. The crap,
1: there they are. Wow, <laughs> it's already on the wall. <laughs> Tell them how crazy Libby is. <laughs> kind of on there, yeah. <laughs> there, Anyway, it's
3: right up here, so it's screwed into the wall. Can't show it to you. Anyway. Is that a secret? Yeah. Yeah. So we won't mention that again no ever. Permission was um, no. it's like do the right thing. We gotta get some African Americans on there was a this
1: goddamn spot. wall. We're gonna boycott Sal's <laughs> <South's> Pizza. <laughs> Speaking of which, all right, all right. Um,
3: thanks again, everybody, for coming out. Um, a little bit about what I'm gonna read. Uh, so yeah, my book is out. Raise a holler. They're, they're they're not exactly for sale. They were earlier, but I only had a couple copies and I sold them. I got one left. And Danilo Thomas, if he's still back there, kind of reserved it. So if you want to run up here and beat him to the punch, you can. We'll we'll auction it off to the highest bidder, uh, up to $15, which is the actual cost. Pay retail. Anyway, um, I should have brought my hat, but it doesn't usually fly well, and people want to beat me up in airports a lot for some reason for wearing the dirty hat, so I didn't bring it, I should have. But anyway, some background on what I'm going to read. The main character hero, maybe I don't know, of the book is a guy named Hank Grady, and he's sort of like a Smokey and the Bandit outlaw legend character, and he's like famous in this like little country southern county, and you either like him or you hate him. Mostly you hate him, um, but uh, David asked me specifically for a story involving Hank. Not so much Hank as the car, which you, I'll pass back and you can like look at the book cover. You know, it's, it's the infamous car which even has its own nickname, the Kill-A-Fella, which has to do with the paint job. Um, so, I've been working on this piece for David. It's not really done. Um, <laughs> it's about half, third of the way done, but uh, there's a glimpse of it and it's just the right amount of, to read. So, it's he wanted a Kill-A-Fella story. So, the Kill-A-Fella will appear, will play a prominent role, but again, it's not really the main character, and is filtered through the perception of somebody else that hates Hank. So, as, as many of them do. Alright, um... This is called, uh, Roscoe. Um, which is not the name of a character, but is in fact a reference to the giant pistol that the guy wears. Uh... And, can we hold that. Um, I mean, do you want me to hold that? Okay, yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> Constable ain't no real law. Rodney Woodman spat. The tobacco juice nearly licking Forrest's just polished brown flat-toed boot. Some didn't care for a flat-toe, but Forrest appreciated the extra room. Just a bank man's all you are. Serving papers ain't no real law. Forrest touched the brim of his hat. Actually, his daddy's old brown fedora he wore at the plow before he got called up to glory. Uh, county gave him two shirts the badge and a blue light for his pickup that and six dollars for driving out to the deepest pits of nowhere in the county to give a court summons to the likes of rodney widman was about all he was offered the boots the hat and the gun were all his from his own pocket which was not deep oh by the way i forgot to mention this is in 1978 in culloden county mississippi so it's in the past Well, Rodney, real law or not, you're to be at the county courthouse next Wednesday to answer for shooting Harry Sullivan's sow. I've said my piece. It was what he always said to end a visit. Whether they took the papers or not, they had been served their due process, and the law was satisfied. Now he could go back to the courthouse, fill out his paper, and collect his $6 from Maddie Jackson, who was not half bad to look at whether she was counting out dollar bills to you or not. Shouldn't have been rooting in my vegetables, Riley hollered. Hollowed out, hoping to get a last word. Well, a birthing sow is worth a lot more than a half pound of crookneck, ain't it? And rather than him pay you 30 cents for your squash, you'll pay him 40 cents a pound for the dead hog and the county $32 for the trouble of making you, six of which will pay me for the disservice of driving out here to hear your ugly voice. Well, I ain't voting for you, he barked. And that, I expect, will make all the difference. Next Wednesday, Rodney, Forrest said, climbing into the cab of his truck, you've been due served. Toller McMahon had bagged and loaded 14 tons of ammonia nitrate, and there was still three hours left on his clock. If he didn't slow down his pace, there'd be no room left in the storage (laughs) bin, and Jarrett would come down out of the office and see he needed another chore, and likely set him to picking up garbage off the yard. Which was a fool's errand, as the yard was nothing but 30 years of garbage piled and buried and then piled again. And it was a rain coming on, too. Be any minute now. Toller would be goddamn before he'd pick up Jarrett's trash out in a drizzle. He was already sick with some crud in his nose and gut, and his foot yellow and peeling on top of that. Started about a week ago, after the ammonia had eat through his good work boot. Them chemicals would eat through anything in a week if you let them. Wasn't nothing stopping the runoff from just going into the water stream just off the far end of the yard. Every one of them chemicals mixing into a soup, going out in the water, adding to whatever other hell was in there from that bomb they shot off some years back. Toller washed and scrubbed his foot with a steel wool pad and liquid dish soap. He clipped the peeled-back yellowed skin off careful with his toe clippers. He even had one of them sandpapery little rocks that he knew ladies used to grind down their bad skin spots. He worked his foot, ginger-like, determined to keep it in good order. He'd only be bagging that fertilizer another week or two. Wouldn't be time to do no real harm. He just needed to make it to one more paycheck, and he'd have enough for what he needed to do, which is get him and his intended out of this hell once and for all. Toller had been a fair hand on the Lathan High School pitcher's mound, nearly took him to state his last year in school, before the, he more or less had to quit from having to ride off with his daddy on a week-long cleanup that stretched into a month. The county said he'd have to repeat the whole year, and he'd be ineligible to play any kind of ball, and as far as Toller could see, there wasn't any much point left to it. He might could have gone to the community college and pitched another game or two, had it not been for that, but there was no sense in crying over it now. He swung on with a road crew, laid down blacktop all through Lathan and Parts of Liberty for just over two years, got hold of a nice bit of black lung just from that. He only coughed blood once or twice, so he reckoned he was all right from it. He'd wanted to drive a dump truck, but couldn't find anyone that had let him learn. His daddy had long quit on the cleanup jobs, and last Toler would heard was somewhere up in Arkansas, working with a stumping crew. Wasn't enough money in stumping to just up and leave, and besides, he had a reason to stay. Which is coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Presley Blackwell had long known There was practically no end to what a wet pair of legs Could get a man to do for her She had heard her mama, that big old troll So many times bemoaning every half-attractive girl she saw For being a split-leg hussy and laying down for their suppers Presley had read all about that communism In her 11th grade American history class And decided it was her goddamn American right To use whatever means she had at her disposal To gain advantage It was just another form of capital, plain and simple, and Presley was a staunch believer in capitalism and a free market economy. She didn't care for that peanut farmer, not one stick. She would not be voting for him once she got her registration in. Ira Blackwell, Presley's fat mother, lit a cigar and puffed a heavy wad of smoke out her mouth as she sat in her parlor with a man Presley knew to be Marlon Whiteacre. He was a businessman, fat, though not near fat as her mama, greasy, thin hair, and he licked his lips every second time he looked at her Always at her tips, which she had to admit to herself were coming along quite nicely. Presley Blackwell was stacked up just right, and she damn well knew it. She could sling a ball bat like it wasn't nobody's business, and she could overhand a softball from left field to home plate without a blink. She knew her value, knew it pretty good. Marlin and her mama were chewing the fat, uh, as she had had it put to her, and she was as she was excused from the parlor. They ought to chew a little more of their own fat off, far as she could see. A man had told her once, given her the stink eye, that every girl turns into her mama. That black thought kept her up late <laughs> some nights, dreading that doom. If she was ever that fat, she would just die. She would just up and die right there. Why, just last week, she had brushed past a man at the soda counter, and just that alone had warranted her a free lunch. That was currency. But she knew damn well what was, uh... In that going on in that parlor right then. Marlon and her mama were in there gangstering together. That was damn sure what it was about. She had known for a while her mama was open for business, as they say. She knew full well that they got a little extra a few dollars in an envelope in the mailbox on Sundays. She wouldn't mind having a few dollars of her own. Sure, it was nice she could get some boy or man to buy her anything she wanted, like that poor toller slaving away out in the farm store in Latham. Poor idiot. He'd buy her the moon if he could earn better than $2.50 an hour. Probably never would. He was a coffer. <coughs> And it was hell on her constitution, letting him fumble about with her body. She had to get where she would let him do, or she had got where she would let him do most anything to her, short of going inside. Not a prayer on that score. She didn't need no screaming baby nor a fat gut that tended to come along with it. Every dumb girl to a T that had gone down that road was toting a bag of watery fat around her waist now. Not to mention the mud-faced demon brats that shout out of their woohoo's. She still (laughs) called it her woohoo. But no, Toller had no real earning potential, and she knew that. But she had kept him around precisely for his slow wit and great eagerness to do any, harm, uh, any damn well thing she had in mind for him to do, and that was finally about to come in handy. Finally. hawking her ear to the walls, terribly thin, in this house her mama thought was so fancy, Presley would have a real fancy house one day, as she figured she would probably marry some doctor or senator. Anyway, she could make out just what they were saying. Just need your word we could get the things into the county, move them around, get them distributed and set up. Your word won't no county law come looking into us, Marlin was saying. What about the city law? I ain't got no pull on them. Not as much, nearly, her mama was saying. Ain't worried about them. We'll be using the back roads mostly. Be setting up in the the out-of-the-way joints. Be mighty appreciative if I could have your word, say a few hundreds worth even. Huh, Presley's mama grunted. I reckon your little one-armed bandits will net you a mite more than that, all told. I'll just soon take a tin cut. Tin cut's awful steep, Judge. Better than a tin cup and a low-paying job on the state farm, the Judge said. Presley had heard about enough. She could see she would need to dolly up a little more to this greased-up pig, and he'd spill his guts out to her all she needed. And she had Toller primed and ready to go. She was going to get her money at last. Forrest back to our constable, had gotten the call about four in the a.m. about old Red Harvison scuttling about through the garbage of Mr. Jerry McKinnon's hardware and seed store in downtown Coldwater again. He had just come off a nearly all-night plumbing job at Miss Gandy's house. Constable only came along with a stipend. He made sure to keep up work as a fix-it-all in the odd hours he wasn't off on some fool errand for the county, such as precisely seemed a long-time public nuisance and vagrant Red Harvison. The thought of the already virulently odored old bum, now likely soured with the added aroma of old ammonia and other fertilizers, was already working on Forrest's easily agitated insides. As Forrest crept his pickup truck down the dead asleep old square of Coldwater, the only movement some odd cat or other scrambling about after early morning birds or street rats, feeding off the town carrion, he felt that same old sense of god awful misery and failure he often did at the sight of this town, this county, this life he'd thrown a hell of a baseball and had wanted to take a scholarship to Ole Miss College or someplace. That had gone to shit when the Army snatched him first. A bullet ricocheting off a stone building and into his left hip bone bought him a ticket home, but not back onto the ball field. The one thought that could sober his self-pitying reverie was from the sight of an infamous red Chevrolet car with an off-center yellow and black stripe down the driver's side. It was parked up inside Job Blanton's auto, auto and tire, which Damn near anyone with a badge and half a brain knew, it being just on the back side of the old courthouse grill, was used as a backdoor delivery for bootleg whiskey. And the driver of the car, Hank Grady, stood outside as cool as the morning air himself, dragging on a cigarette and staring off into nowhere from under his sloppy Stetson and through his half-tinted aviator glasses. He thought himself such a cool operator, flaunting his outlawry right under the noses of any badge he saw, like God himself couldn't catch him in his tricked-out race car. And here Forrest could have had him dead to rights, it wasn't his jurisdiction, and only that he'd be damned if he let old Sheriff Carr, who just happened to revile worse, to take the credit for bringing down Culloden's most sought-after bootlegger, did he not call it in. No, he'd bide his time until he either made regular law, or maybe by some miracle he could get himself elected sheriff. Now that'd be something. Of course, he may as well just hope to become one of them Apollo astronauts as good a chance as he had getting elected amongst these bribe-paying church liars. And nor was it Forrest had any love for the dry county laws. He enjoyed the taste of a beer as good or better than any man, and would often drive to the county line a free evening and have a few. No it was that damned Hank Grady could just as well have served his due term like any decent man had done, and dandy as he was. Would likely have gotten a Charlie bullet wound of his own To squelch that daisy gate of his He ambled down the main streets of the world Catching eyeballs of any and all young ladies Hanging about in the beauty parlor or soda fountain Dirty dilettantes, every one of them They could go to hell too Them man Hank Reddy all be damned And then he found old Red, sure enough All the way slammed into the garbage bin Behind the and hardware And by damn he stunk to beat the band Red smelled like hot trash On a Cambodian August day Forrest couldn't get within ten feet of the fiend without gagging. It was vile, and it came at him in ways. Best come up from out of there, Red, Forrest said. Red was half touched, and rarely responded to reason in kind, so instead of acquiescing to the constable, he flung the wettest gob of trash slime he could handily come by, and come near to pegging the officer in the left eyeball. Instead, he received a bold knock to the skull from the butt of Forrest's magnum pistol. It was about as heavy a short gun as any man would care to tote around on his body for any length of time. Forrest had been handing a Colt automatic for his tour through the rice paddies, and he had had his full of slide jams and rusted magazines. Nope, a full moon clip was about all he needed in the rare likelihood he was ever apt to pour out a volley. He'd sprayed fire from out the muzzle of his AR more than a minute, uh, more than a time in the jungle, but he'd yet to wake that magnum Colt in his duty as a peace officer and hope to keep it so. Red dropped like a dead stone from the lick, and all the more ashamed, didn't die from it. The paperwork would be worth every tedious line of ink and hour of inquiry, and at least as rotten a uh, cadaver of old Red would have had a damn reason to stink so terrible. Forrest then had the damnable misfortune to drag the stinking, still-breathing, rotten carcass out to his truck. Right back past the mocking stare of the very man he had assumed beat half to death with a horsewhip. the clown in his girly-flared jeans, still pulling on a smoke, Even going as far as to tip his hat. He tipped his damn hat like they were friends and that fop shit heel not doing crime this very second. Damn hang ready to hell, Forrest thought, as he hand over handed the stinking red harvest into the bed of his pickup truck. truck. Be damned if that sack of stink was getting in his cabin. Cranked up and hauled off down to the county line. He'd let the Bedford boys deal with old Red for a while. See how they like the smell of shit and ammonia wandering about their streets. Stay out of Culloden. Forest holiday. Red's half alive self as he tossed him off the side of the road over the line. He could use a beer just then. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're coming to the end now. We've got one more reader. Uh, this is a guy that I published in Burnt Bridge long before I ever knew who he was. Just. Another over the transom. We've since become pretty good friends. The editor of Flywheel, my co-host, co-chair for the event tonight. A man you've all... Needs no real introduction at this point, but I do admire that he's a man who's not afraid at all to start a bar fight in uh, lower downtown Chicago. Um, You know, probably where we're all outnumbered, and at a literary conference, no less. So I feel like that alone... Introduces him well enough, but he is also the author of Z, B, and B for sale up here. Um, probably the best zombie story I've ever heard, read, or seen. Uh, just because they're. Bring sales to me, not him. Bring sales <laughs> to Amy. To Bring a- sales to Amy. Actually, you know what? Everyone should buy a copy because uh, their car got towed this morning and. Mother's they need the money to make back up their tow fee. So if they can sell every copy of the book up here, it'll go a long way to helping them get back home. So otherwise, they'll have to live on the street here next to Old Red the Bomb.
1: Whatever you can
3: give, whatever you can give, whatever just whatever you can bring it in your heart to give. Give freely, David James Keaton. <laughs> Yay!
1: Awesome, thanks. Jason Stewart, again, raise a holler, is on Amazon. He has a special edition with a map in here. It's like, it's based on The Hobbit. He told me last night, I did not realize this. You can map it out to The Hobbit, character by character. Seriously, right? Yeah. The, uh, Seriously. Is yeah. that Rivendell? That's not a joke. This is fucking Mordor.
2: No, is that, is that Rivendell? Ask
1: him. I don't know. Okay. New I can explain all this anyway here. Okay, um... This is gonna be real fast. I'm gonna read this really fast. Uh, I was rec- my my lovely wife recommended that I read as fast as possible because and that's new technology with Kindle. If they can get each line to like disappear, like right after you read it, they can actually make you read faster. That's the newest thing to make you read quicker. It's a it's a different experience. I'm gonna read so fucking fast. It's gonna last like three minutes. This is um, dedicated to. Parking enforcement in Chicago who towed my car. I, this is a chapter from my novel that no agent wants. It's called Spunk Water. This is like chapter four, and it deals with uh, parking cops and hand acting. A discussion in our house when actors over-exaggerate their hand movements, like if he comes in and he's like, I just want to look at your hat, and the hand does a little too much. It moves it kind of sails around you've seen it And angel heart is especially egregious he opens a drawer mickey rourke in his hand shifts shit around and way too much bad hand acting is rampant in this story bad hand acting hopefully we'll uh, bring it into the light and stop it stop it in its tracks okay weaving through traffic down the hospital hallway a janitor stops rolling his mop bucket to linger next to a circle jerk of police officers and and parking enforcement officers infesting a doorway. Inside this room is Ron Flowers, soon to be 39-year-old Mr. Ronald J. Flowers from Fort Knox, Kentucky. And all over the news for soaking up 35 taser barbs, a half gallon of pepper spray, and a dozen forearms sunk deep into his throat. The cherry on top was the butt of a sergeant's shotgun to the back of his head, right where he stored the memories of an almost reciprocated crush he'd had on a fifth grade teacher. The pressure of all these arms on his unconscious brain had caused Mr. Flowers to stroke out, which is a lot like striking out, except you don't get a chance to spike your helmet for the camera. (laughs) Instead, the cameras, cell phones, and dash cams alike had caught every twitch of Mr. Flowers' nervous system as the impotent rage of so many boys in blue crackled and pulsed through his body. The janitor had already seen this apocalyptic beating on the internet, and he couldn't help but marvel at the way the winds of public opinion were already blowing. In 15 minutes, 30,000 hits by calm, cool-headed armchair lawyers were pretty sure Mr. Flowers fucking deserved it. A trial would be unnecessary. About 50 or so amateur scientists wondered if Mr. Flowers was immune to electricity. Maybe he'd been tasered too many times. And the other 60,000 hits on YouTube sidestepped any procedural debate and jumped straight to this certainty. Fuck him. This was a black man. This was the Bardstown rapist. Why else would he resist like that? Only a guilty man soaks up enough electricity to power a fucking city block, pulling fish hook after fish hook of taser wire from his torso, all while cuffing any cop that got too close with fists the size of Thanksgiving turkeys. A man, who, a man only does this when he knows justice has caught up with him. He's immune to electricity, but to compassion too, those amateur scientists decided on YouTube, likely to do, due to his upbringing. How else can anyone explain such an endless trail of victims left broken and bleeding at rest stops along the famous Kentucky Bourbon Trail? But even though it seemed unnecessary in the eyes and fingertips of the online public, the police, they wanted a confession. That's why they crowded into his room. They knew they, were going to, they knew how they were going to look when those cell phones and dash cams hit the 11 o'clock news. And they were equally worried that Mr. Flowers, a huge, raggedy man who sort of resembled a black meatloaf before his beating, now looking more like actual meatloaf, would both survive or be forever martyred by their assault. Either way, a hospital bed confession was crucial. The janitor surveys the sea of blue suits and Batman utility belts surging in closer to the broken piles of tubes, blood, and bandages. With every stuttering beep of the machines, he isn't sure how many cops are gathered, but the janitor knows it's too many. And they all seemed worried and furious, watering eyes and trickles of blood, glistening toilet-brushed mustaches, random bleats and sputtered profanity about how someone should pull the goddamn plug on a piece of shit by, th- like, 39-year-old Mr. Flowers from Fort Knox, Kentucky, and how he was a waste of hospital resources. A waste of electricity, especially, the janitor thinks, as he notices the spaces and the utility belts where the tasers used to be. He loves Batman, too. Just like, you do. <laughs> But as the janitor attempts to mop around the rivers of black, spit shine shoes, he notices there are two cops that are a little different than the rest. One big, one little. This is not uncommon, and the janitor knows immediately, just from being alive on this planet past the age of 18, any clear physical distinctions mean these will be the worst cops. And sure enough, they're certainly the only two faces anywhere near an after-hours emergency room that are smiling. Is it the guy, the big cop asks? Gotta be the guy, the little cop scoffs. Where's the girl he was with? We just booked her, little cop says. Did he rape her too? Nah, she was in on it. She's always been in on it. A white girl like that with a black guy? How else is someone like this going to get up close to so many females? Why were they dressed like that? Fuck if we know, big cop says. She claims they're on the way to a costume party, but she's fucking lying. Why do you say that? You didn't see her smile when we took the mug shot? That's all she wanted, to get one of those sweet old-time mug shots like you get at Frontierland. Wanna be actors, every one of these motherfuckers. I don't know, what if this isn't the guy? She'll talk, the big cop says. And if she don't talk, he'll talk. Why, the little cop asks, because he reported finding the last victim. And? And she found the victim before that, too. And? And nothing, that's a pretty big fucking coincidence. Really, the little cop shrugs, seems like once the number of rapes gets this high, it gets more likely that someone would stumble across two victims in their lifetime hell even three shit one time this little kid found two ears on the same day he's the guy dna will prove it a little louder a nurse orbits the mob of police not able to muster the courage to tell them to leave she's able to push through and squeeze a bag of plasma feeding mr flowers massive forearm suddenly awakened by the tug of the needle the baseball glove sized hand connected to this arm begins scratching at the handcuff locking it to the bed railing look out don't worry Something in his head popped. That's all he can move, that one hand. That one hand, that's one hand too many after what he did to you assholes, little cop laughs. Well, he ain't gonna move anything ever again. How do you know it's the guy? I said, forensics can prove anything. You know, the blood. The blood, huh? Man, don't you hate those movies where someone says, well, Joe, we checked the perpetrator's vehicle and found DNA and possible latent fingerprints, and then someone else in the movie says, whoa, speak English, Copernicus. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Joe, I mean, we got the guy. Gotta love when the movies assume the audience is jam packed with idiots. Who are you calling idiots? A cop in the back asks, popping a wad of red tissue from his nostril in anger. Exactly, the little cop laughs. The janitor mops a little slower, but he knows better than to believe these cops are actually considering the innocence of a brain da- damaged man locked to a bed. He leans against the wall and watch, mis- watches Mr. Flower's fingers stop scratching the rail and strain towards one of the officers near the door. The finger raises higher until it's pointed straight at a cop's chest. One of twenty officers looks to his shirt pocket and sees a stack of fucking parking tickets and the pen holding them together. Did you write him a ticket? Someone asks. Yeah, I started to until he went apeshit. Hey, watch the slurs with that apeshit thing, someone says, quite serious. We don't want to be recorded. I think he wants your pen, the janitor offers, head down as he slides a snail trail of soapy water to the bathroom. DNA is overrated someone says Juries love it but all those numbers It's like astronomy class Doesn't mean shit What the fuck do you mean astronomy class You know when they say 6 million stars or whatever I mean that's a lot But they could have said any big ass number And it would mean the same thing Don't you mean 6 million Jews Someone laughs Watch the slurs sergeant Everybody's recording everything these days Don't you see this shit on YouTube Everyone's got a camera The janitor snickers despite himself And a couple heads turn He mops faster Do you have to do that right now? Someone asks him with a nudge. Then the beeping of the EKG stutters, and they turn to the broken man. He's still pointing at the officer's chest, fingers now twitching in desperation. I think he wants your pen, he says to the fucking traffic cop. Give him your pen, man. Maybe he wants to write something down, they say to the fucking traffic cop. Bullshit. He's lying, little cop laughs. How could he be lying with his hand, the fucking Chicago traffic cop says? It's his bad hand. Wait, which hand is a bad hand? It depends on which hand someone uses for lying. (laughs) One of the officers wiggles a broken jaw that rustles like a bag of gravel, thinking about when Mr. Flowers jacked him in the fucking face, wincing as a busted incisor folds back on his tongue right where the taste buds used to register sweet. Yeah, that's his bad one, he mumbles, afraid to touch his own tooth. He wants your pen. Well, yeah, maybe to stick a nurse with it fingers thick as sausages flutter and grasp the first two digits walking on the air trying to reduce the space between them that's the first time i ever did that <laughs> trying to reduce the space between them the index finger finger finally tracing letters in the air between them in frustration sign language mm-hmm. he wants you to write something down don't do it little cop says suddenly serious why not do you hear what i said he's lying how do you lie with a hand that's not sign language that's fu- a fucking hand saying give me your pen no, don't buy it. He's full of shit. This man is the worst hand actor of all time. What the fuck are you talking about? Have you never heard of hand acting? The little cop size? You mean like puppets? No, hand acting. You ever see a movie when they zoom in on somebody's hand and it's going through a drawer or it's coming around their face <laughs> and all of a sudden the hand starts spending way too much time in the drawer, you know, like picking up every battery and screw and paperclip, moving around a little too much, showing off. <laughs> then it puts shit back down and it floats out of the scene. Wait, floats? Yeah, it floats. You watch too many fucking movies, Little Cop says. Well, I'm telling you, this cocksucker is lying. His hand can't act for shit. Wait, are you saying hand acting? Yeah, there's. that's just one kind. I mean, there's hand acting, there's foot acting. You usually get foot acting when a chick steps out of a car. In some, move, in some movies, it takes a high-heeled shoe like a fucking hour to touch the asphalt. I saw fly acting once, the fucking traffic cop from the back says. What movie was this? Once Upon a Time in the West. He's right, someone agrees. That fly the cowboy catches in his gun barrel should have got an Academy Award. Yeah, so should this fucking guy, somebody says. Mr. Flower's hand is moving so fast they almost disappear. Just give him your pen. Give him a ticket to write on, he says to the Chicago cocksucker who writes tickets like it's his fucking job. He knows he's caught. He's going to confess. Yes, he's going to confess. Bullshit. Little cop snaps, and then they reach up into—I don't know what I said there. Then they reach <laughs> up to protect their parking tickets because they're gold. They're like Willy Wonka tickets. They hand them out like they're doing you a fucking favor. None of this is on the page. If there was one thing, if there was one thing consistent about police officers is that without fail they all believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were being lied to at all times. They also like to never mind. You know what's a good, you know who's a good hand actor, Big Cop says? Sigourney Weaver. She is the greatest. And by that I mean the worst hand actor of all time. A hand actor in what? In all three alien movies. In the first one, she's turning off that self-destruct mechanism and all those buttons and switches and she's lovingly flicking and pushing every one of them. And then the second movie, she's gearing up to save the little girl and she tapes all the grenades to her gun, plucking them out of the box as pretty as a little girl picking posies. I remember that shit, Traffic Cop says. That's when we feel sorry for the traffic cop, because he likes good movies. What about the third <laughs> flick? I don't remember. I do remember that Sigourney Weaver throws the most believable punch I've ever seen a woman throw inside or outside of a movie. You know what other movie her hand is in? The Ice Storm. There's a shot of it plucking some car keys out of a salad bowl, and the keys of the man she's having an affair with, and her hands, her fingers do this twirl with them at the end, and it's ridiculous. It's fucking hot though. You know what that? Oh, are we done? <laughs> you know what that twirl meant, right? Betrayal. Deception. Try to get that across with just one finger. She's a fucking good hand actor. But wait, what does she hit with that punch? An alien? What? The big cop was all caught up in the ice storm thing. Who does she hit with the most believable punch you've ever seen? Was it an alien? No, it was a fucking rapist. <coughs> At that, all eyes are back on Mr. Flowers and that bad hand. Suddenly, the sheep begins to bunch up around his midsection and a cop slaps it back down. Oh, he really wants that pen. Don't confuse an erection for desire, someone says, quite reasonably. (laughs) Fuck it! Admit what you did, scumbag! (laughs) The Chicago (laughs) traffic cop lays his parking ticket across Mr. Flowers' chest, works a ballpoint pen around the tangle of tubes and wires into his broken fingers. The officers tap the butts of their guns nervously. Because of the diagonal line with which a stroke divides the human body, It's Mr. Flowers' right hand that still works, so it's the left hand of Mr. Flowers' mouth that smiles. He plunges the pen into his own throat. The janitor watches it all in slow motion, suddenly feeling like he's swaying on the deck of a boat. He has to grab the doorway, and possibly the pen goes all the way into his neck, vanishing into the meat of Mr. Flowers' massive throat. The tip of the ballpoint finds his carotid artery and unleashes a torrent of blood that washes over The first row of faces, kind of like those Gallagher concerts. Grown men who now (laughs) whimper like children, holding up smooth white hands in desperation as if if in the path of an oncoming train. The blood pumps harder as one of the officers attempts to retrieve the pen, digging into the widening hole in his neck, right up to his knuckles. The janitor imagines the pen lost in a highway of big veins forever, on its way to a weary heart the size of a cop's head, three times as big as the brain of a Chicago traffic cop. (laughs) Then it's over. The huge hand slumps, the EKG flatlines. The cops let the doctors and nurses push their way through the abattoir of blue uniforms, now turned purple with their shocked, freckled faces. Little cop looks over at big cop, they're still smiling. They were in the front row and not a drop hit them. The janitor who was cleaning the floor that, who will be cleaning the floor that evening, all evening, every evening, is suddenly convinced he'll find red outlines of those two cops on the walls and tile floor. Like the shadows of blast victims at Hiroshima. Every officer but those two, the instigators, one big, one little. That gorilla was the best hand actor I've ever seen, a a voice whispers in awe. No one stops him. Everyone nods, nobody flinches. Case closed, little cop claps his hands, dry, dry hands like a gunshot. Never leave it up to a jury, the big cop reminds him. The phone rings. (laughs) <laughs> no one answers it. Then they're gone. Then everyone begins to file out the door no longer interested. The janitor stands, keeping his mop at arm's length, as as always, so he doesn't have to smell anything. Most people approximate hospital populations, like prison populations, that is by the number of beds. Janitors and orderlies, however, calculate the number of toilets. So that's 35 toilets per 10,000 human beings. And just like he knows this statistic, he knows three feet away is optimum for breathing in the lingering shit of all these patients. And therefore he knows that two cops, two of these motherfuckers are somehow responsible for everything that just went down in this room. Then the janitor stops scrubbing, frozen by his dilemma. If he was the rapist, if the janitor was the rapist, he would do it again tonight just to prove these motherfuckers wrong. If he was the rapist, even if he knew that by stopping today, his crimes would be forever pinned on a dead man, he'd have to do it again just to prove these fuckers wrong. Just because these cops and their split lips and faces as red as a baboon's ass can't fight for shit without their guns, they can't be right tonight. They can't be right ever. So he'd do it. He would rape someone tonight just to prove these guys wrong. The janitor bends over to finish cleaning the yellow stains around the screws on the toilet lid flushes to get all the cops attention i stole that from reservoir dogs you know when he hits the fucking (laughs) hits the button i'm sorry uh then he does a twirl of the key ring with the same flourish he used to spin the lifeguard whistle when he was a boy back when he first started to notice the glut of lovely creatures populating his world all that skin on the way out as the bottleneck of bruises loosens to let him and his bucket roll through he turns and silently motions to the fucking chicago traffic cops with his hand No one doubts the sincerity of his gesture. At the end of the hall, he turns the corner and sees another huddle of uniforms, another group of cops surrounding a doorway, another confession. He lowers his head and begins to work his way through them towards the hiss and sputter of another fucking machine. Thank Thank you.
0: okay and uh you just finished listening to jason stewart reading from roscoe and
2: david james keaton reading from spunk water both of those stories really great both those guys have just a great way of uh of, of delivering their work you know just the way they read is just very very good
0: yep stewart uh reading that his roscoe story he had that kind of southern kind of twinge to it that i felt was really really good i picked up a copy of raise a holler while we were at the reading so i'm looking forward to getting to that haven't yet but uh I really
2: liked what I heard from him in the reading, and then Keaton. Um, you know, what, more, <laughs> what more can you say about that guy? Half of what he even you know, mentioned himself, but I think half of what he said there wasn't actually written on his page. He is the master of editing on the fly.
0: Yeah, the things he did that were really cool. Like, obviously, he was pissed at Chicago uh, traffic cops, and, <laughs> and that's why he uh, he chose the, the the story he did. Um, but then, just on the fly, the things he did, like um, when that girl's phone rang. And he just built it right into the story. It's like, the phone rang. Nobody answered it. That was, that was just stuff. And even when he, he was saying, like, none of this is on the page, I was like, this is this is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, gold. That guy is absolute gold. So, And you know what? I'll tease this a little bit because I'm not sure, but he may be co-hosting a show with us really soon here. And if he's not really soon, I promise we will have him on again. Yep. He, uh, If for nothing else than the endless flattery that we throw at him. That's right. <laughs> God, we're like the David James Keaton fan club. We re-
0: Yeah, we kind of are. It's it's kind of sad, I think. It's it's approaching sad.
2: I forget what I said. (laughs) DJK will never, ever be on the show again. That's right. We don't really like him that much. That guy Uh. sucks.
0: (laughs) All right, so this is wrapping up our four-part Shindig in Chi-Town series. Uh, It was a great reading. We're glad we got to bring it to you. Um, One thing that I do want to apologize to, I want to make an apology to Jason McCall, who um, was also one of the readers at the, uh, at the event that night, somehow, uh, somebody, and I won't name names, uh, accidentally, or maybe not so accidentally now that I think of it, threw the, uh, the, the mic, the recorder that we were using onto the ground, um, which turned the power off, and it caused the recorder to not capture the entire first part of, of the reading. So we missed, we cut out about, it was before Jason even started reading his first poem, so there was really nothing we could salvage from from when he was talking and then it and it picks back up with uh the second half of the reading. So big apologies to him. Really enjoyed his reading and uh wish that we had it uh so that we could share it with you but uh technical difficulties. Sorry about that
2: quite honestly we were really really freaked out because what we weren't what we were able to salvage was the entire first half of the reading minus uh, minus his story so we were really concerned that we weren't going to be able to bring you very much but uh through some diligence and hard work we we're able to recover um a good portion of it so very thankful about that
0: yeah there was like Olivia said a threat of like the first half just being gone and we thought that's where we were for for a couple days and it took a significant amount of work on both of our sides to to bring it back to, bring it back to life. And we, we save it we could, uh, again, sorry, Jason McCall wish we could have uh, had that to share with people, but, um, the rest of the, the rest of the reading survived. And I think it was a fantastic event.
2: Absolutely. Enough. So that I think, uh, these last three readings that we did, so Noir at the bar, um, the wrong kind of reading and the shindig and shy town have convinced us that, uh, we're probably likely to do another reading in the future, maybe our own sometime soon. That's right. So keep an eye out for that.
0: Uh, if you want to check out the other reading episodes we have, if you go to the BookedPodcast.com uh, website. Uh, hover over episodes, go down to readings and events. You can see all of the readings and events broken down by the actual reading and just uh, check out the ones you want to listen to.
2: All right. Uh, next up for us is going to be we're going back to books again. Oh, back to books. So the next thing you're going to be hearing from us is Zombie Bake Off by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, started that earlier today. Some good stuff going there.
0: That's right. I cracked it open a little bit earlier today and uh, looking forward to getting to talk about it. It's been <laughs> it's been way too long since we've talked about
2: zombies on this podcast. All right. So to keep informed of what's going on with us at Booked, um, go to Facebook.com slash Booked podcast or just look at your friends, because I'm sure all of them are sharing this already. So just click their uh, their link to our page. Click the like button and you will be the first to know when we put up new episodes. Alright, that's
0: going to wrap it up for our Shindig and Chi Town series. I'm Rob Olson. And
2: I'm Libya Snudden. Keep reading.
3: I heard a prayer the night
1: Chicago die. Brother, what a night to be for us all. what a night to be for us all. Yes, indeed. Then there was no sound at all.